Welcome back to the Inclusion Crusade with Sarah Morgan on the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. Today's episode is part two of her series with Dr. Dennis on protecting black women in the workplace. Hope you enjoy the show. So I started out at the top of the show talking about how I wanted to do this series on black women who have suffered um, in their personal professional lives because of viral online type of incidents. And so I want to switch gears and begin our conversation, the part of our conversation that talks about that. So can you, for the listeners who may not be aware, tell us about the incident, I I would argue incidents, because I know multiples, um, that you have been involved in that have caused you, you know, professional loss and, and threats of harm and so on and so forth, and the impact that that really has had on your your career. Okay, so I don't want to make these white people famous, so I'm not going to say too much, because mm-hmm. um, it's the same thing as five centuries of white terrorism, and when I say white terrorism, it does not vary by white people's voting patterns, political parties around mm-hmm. the world. It's all white people, meaning that all white power is based on white people, even the white people who think that they're helping dismantle racism. If we seem like we're not celebrating white people for doing that, they oftentimes will switch on us too. Yeah, oftentimes anonymously. So that's why I tell people when white people harass us online via email, voicemails, whatever, the tactic, even going behind our backs to contact employers and stuff, never assume that these white people are, are of a particular political party or voting pattern. Mm. Never assume that. I always have to tell people that if they think that five centuries of white terrorism around the world, not just on this continent, but around the world is because of they voted for so-and-so, then they have been hoodwinked, bamboozled by something in the text. Let us stray from the muck. So when white people contact me, I have a folder in my business account called white people, and I just have it all forwarded (laughs) to them. I've had that now for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, uh, it's very common for white people to add me to listservs. So like this week when I posted on Instagram regarding response to Whoopi Goldberg and how people are good at punishing white, uh, punishing black people's voices without discussing racial variants in Judaism. Mm-hmm. You know, then a white person added me to a Jewish listserv, which I thought was funny. I thought that was funny because um, it's based on the assumption, number one, that as a black woman, I don't understand Judaism mm-hmm. because it's based on the falsehood that Judaism originates with Europeans who became racially white. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus was of a racial identity that would be considered white or an ethnicity. And it's also based on this notion that I don't have family members who are Jewish, all mm-hmm. of them black Jews. So the white person thought they were going to teach me something about myself. Yeah. Which is funny because the, the list that they added me to is all white people. It's like oh, all white wow. people on the, on the website, which solidifies what I'm what I was saying. So, so yes, yeah, so, I mean, white people just five centuries of harassing us wherever they can. Um, it, people can go to my medium.com page and they'll see a piece that I wrote very beginning of COVID about how I got banned from LinkedIn. And I put LinkedIn's emails in that medium piece. I got Mm. banned from Facebook. 
And those were actually um, medical and health professional white people who banned me because they were offended that I addressed suicide and race. Oof. Yeah. Um, because, and that's why I tell people we have to challenge how we define anti-racism because if people define anti-racism as us discussing anything based on what white people consider important at any given moment, then that's not anti-racism. Never. Mm-hmm. Like if your timing, your words, your tone are based on how do white people feel? Are white people ready to hear this? Yeah, you've already Or, failed. you know, is it, that, is it that February Black History Month for us to discuss this? Or white people will tell you not to discuss something because this is not a training. Like we can't discuss this every day, everywhere. I tell mm-hmm. people the stuff I discuss in trainings, that's the stuff I discuss every day. Every day, everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. Yes. Everywhere and that's the funny thing about it because these conversations are conversations that we have on text threads, in, you know, conversations while we going for a, a walk through the park, while we yeah. are having mimosas and brunch. We talk about oh. this just as comfortably and readily as we do any other topic in the spectrum of things that people can converse about and so it's baffling that you can't bring it up in the in these contexts like what is it that why why is it that you know we're so afraid um, to address the issue and so completely unprepared. And I understand the answer is whiteness. Um, it leaves people unprepared to be able to, to answer those things because they don't, they're not having those conversations because they don't have to. But it is, it never ceases to be amazing to me um, that that is the case. And the, and and when white people have these conversa- conversations, it's supposed to be based on white timing. It's supposed to be based on a planned meeting so that white mm. people can get emotionally prepared. So when I'm part of, uh, you know, I specialize in community health and overall health equity, mm-hmm. mental health, physical health, and Black suicide. And so when I'm in these health cohorts and health trainings, I challenge white people quite often because white people pretend that that everything is not based on white people. So oftentimes they'll speak up in these trainings and meetings. And and the interesting thing that's not surprising is that when I challenge white people, white people get teary-eyed and guess who comes to their defense? Black people. Mm -hmm. So this is another example of centuries of tokenism. Mm. Black people will watch other black people get lynched by white people. And Black people will focus on rescuing the white people because it's this falsehood that they're protecting their own safety, their career. Mm-hmm. And I always have to explain when I do work with our people, Black people, that if you're helping white people lynch the rest of us because we're non-compliant, trust and believe that when white people change their mind about you, we're already gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And white people will change their mind eventually, right? Because... Mm-hmm say yes the rest of your life to white people and every part of your life there's going to be a time where white people want you to do something beyond your comfort level and you're going to say no and you're going to get punished mm-hmm. and so when we talk about white people harassing us they're creating anonymous accounts they're creating anonymous emails calling from black numbers 
it's this same routine. A lot of times Black people don't speak up in our support. They say again that it's our fault for saying this. It's our fault for this tone, our words. LinkedIn, I tell people, LinkedIn is the same as Facebook and Twitter and any other social media page. Mm -hmm. Just because people are wearing a suit and claim it's networking, it's the same routine. Mm -hmm. And and that's why I call out Black LinkedIn in particular, because they'll claim they're protecting their career and being spectators to whatever white people do at any given moment. Mm. So I have I was never banned from Twitter, despite white people continuously reporting me. Um, and I left Twitter on my own. So um, being on Instagram so far yesterday morning, two white people sent me anonymous emails and messages trying to use the unexpected death of my brother as ammunition for their white power, like trying to throw insults and you, you deserve your brother to die. You know, I just tell people that doesn't hurt me because literally everything that white people do to us, it's predictable. Mm. Every new technology is used by white people to harm us. Mm. Literally everything that's created is used by white people to harm us. Yeah. White people think they're offending us. They think that they're going to silence us or punish us. It literally is just my data. Every day is a social experiment. So that's why I also do not support things like bias trainings. The two groups that harm us the most are the most common to use bias trainings. Those are medical and health professionals and police departments. Mm -hmm. They brag about having bias trainings the moment you challenge their actions. And so I don't support bias trainings because you're never going to get rid of people's biases and prejudices. We are hardwired for bias and I I need people to under, if there's one thing that I could get people uh, to understand that would definitely be super high on the list. Yeah. Humanity, like we have a, a, a predisposition to preference and that's ultimately what bias is. I prefer this thing over this thing we are hardwired for that and we are because of our central nervous system and fight flight way of being we are biased to create good and evil narratives of things in our mind the problem is that we took the good and evil narrative and we just we just keep perpetuating it to only make certain groups of people good well one group of people good and every other group evil in the narrative in order to control and oppress those groups of people that's where it all went wrong we racialized people in the world that we White, right, white people racialized the people in the world in order to oppress them. Yeah, and that's why racial categories were created. Were created. And it was capitalist in its nature. And this ain't news, people. You know, this is this is the first chapter of how to be an anti-racist. Everybody always is talking about that book and the work that um Dr. Kendi has done with that this is like the first chapter and then if you go if you read stamped from the beginning because those are the most popular books i know you should yeah, I, don't, I don't support i don't support popular books right because popular, are, 
New York Times bestseller, popular books. That's because white people approve it. White writers. But oppressor, oppressors are not going to give permission to dismantle their power. So, but that is that is very early on, you know, in the most popular text currently about this particular topic. So, you don't even have to go far in order to to find that fact. And since it is a New York Times bestseller over and over and over again, I would argue that whites have accepted this text as being a worthy text. Good, bad, or indifferent. Y'all should see Dr. Dennis's face looking at me. I don't support white white approval. Exactly. it's yeah, if it's based on white approval, then that's the foundation of racism. So yeah, right. I mean, I know what you're saying. Yeah, but just... the and so at the end of the day, like if you accept this text and you promote this text as the thing to be read to learn about this subject, then you should already know that this happened and you should be able to accept that this happened as true because the basis by which you judge what is worthy what is factual, what is acceptable, what is knowledge that is worth having has deemed this text as knowledge worth having, possessing, believing to be true. That's my point. So look, I already know your point. You know know my point before I got to the point. I know. I was like, I already know your point. I knew your point before you got to the point. I know your point. So, you know, and this is what, this is why I tell people, I do not support your hashtag, not your, but you know, people's hashtags. I don't support New York Times bestsellers because Black people have written about this for five centuries. Forever, forever, ever. Black activists, such as my parents and them, they remind us Black elders have been doing anti-racism and racial justice trainings for white people since the 1960s and 1970s. This is true. My mom did them. Yeah, your mom did them. Yeah. Yeah, and my dad... You know, he always, my dad always reminds me, he's like, these trainings, we did them for free back in the day. Mm-hmm. He said, he said, stop pretending that white people don't understand. Mm-hmm. They understand. It might not be the way we want white people to understand, but no more wasting time with intro. Like I, for the work that I do in 365 Diversity, I tell people, by the time you come to me, you've already thought about this. You, we're not going to spend two hours defining racism, defining sexism, defining homophobia, defining transphobia. Mm-hmm. Literally, you all have thought about this before. I've given you some stuff to read, maybe, but we're not, we're grown. This is not kindergarten. We're not going to pretend because mm-hmm. people get to pick and choose because it's based on time wasting rather than changing policies and practices. Yeah. And so, so, yeah, so when we talk about the origins of racial categorization, it's, it's very important to, you know, of course, I'm a sociologist who's been teaching about race for 17 years now and doing presentations in communities. And when we talk about the origins of racial categories, a lot of people, particularly white people, take from that that, oh, well, duh, we just need to get rid of racial categories. And then we should not be like Black pride, despite the origins of Black pride, right? And I tell white people, you do not tell us to get rid of our racial categories and our racial pride. Mm-hmm. That's not up to you. And I don't believe in getting rid of whiteness. So there are some sociologists, unfortunately, who say if we get rid of whiteness, then we'll get rid of white power. I said, white people do not stop being white 
and this is various ethnicities, nations, and religions, they do not stop being white just because you take that category away from the next survey that you did. Mm-hmm. They're still white. And there's nothing wrong with white in and of itself. It's what comes with it. So I tell white people, never try to waste my time apologizing for being white. I'm on that next level that Black folk have explained for five centuries. We don't mm-hmm. want you wasting time explaining your whiteness. I don't want you culturally appropriating Blackness and trying to talk Black and snap your fingers to prove that you kind of like me. You ain't nothing like me. Now let's move to the next level of talking about how we're going to dismantle the white power of the curriculum in your school, mm-hmm. dismantle the white power of the policies and practices in your medical and health facility, because mm-hmm. we're not going to waste time on making you feel comfortable in reducing your whiteness. I don't mm-hmm. waste time on that. And that's also what sociologists term colorblind racism. Mm-hmm. Because when people try to tell us that race doesn't really exist, you know, sociologists, we originate the term social, socially created or social construct. Social yes. construct. Oh, yeah. I hate that. Like I everything people, is a freaking social construct. What are we yeah, talking I mean, about? Nearly <laughs> everything that we do as humans is socially created, including most biology and genetic stuff is still socially created, which right. is how you can pass down diseases. From yeah. Generation. All of our language, all of us, like yeah. everything, we are social beings. Everything is a social yeah, construct. Gender, yeah, I mean, most nearly everything that humans do is socially created, even if we can find it on a biology or an MRI brain scan. But socially created does not mean that it's not real in terms of the existence and the mm-hmm. outcome. Mm-hmm. Race is still real. Gender is still real. Mm-hmm. Transgender does not mean the same thing that people try to create transracial, that you could be, you could all of a sudden become black if you want to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to call out the person who tried to subscribe to that on a news station, but I will just say that race and gender, both are socially created, but they're not the same. Not everything has to be the same to make sense to people because making sense to people is really based on white people making, you know, trying to make make sense for white people. That's Mm -hmm. what usually happens, right? So a lot of times when we do this anti-racism work, I always have to explain to people, my work is based on five centuries of black work on this mm-hmm. Western hemisphere and around the world. My work is not based on any new book. It's not based on New York Times bestseller. I'm not going to talk about what y'all read in y'all book club and your <laughs> hashtag. I'm not. I, I just don't care. I don't care that you, that you like the most popular anti-racism trainer. Good for you. I'm interested in what has been happening for generations before any of the stuff existed that you saw on Twitter and TikTok. what and what the goings on is within and your organization mm-hmm. and the policies and practices that you have yes. created and the impact that that is having on the people who wor- work there and on yes. the people who you serve. That's really exactly. what it boils down to. And I run into that when I am working with clients as well in the spectrum of DEI. Clients are very comfortable with the I and the D. They are very comfortable talking about inclusion because inclusion is fun. Inclusion yes. makes people feel good. Include all people, you know, <laughs> inclusion makes people feel good. Inclusion is really not the difficult thing. Diversity is not the difficult thing because if you can make people feel good, even those, even and especially those of us with marginalized intersecting identities, we are, we don't need to feel that good to feel good because we are so accustomed to being marginalized that our bar is very low. So 
as long as you are not actively mistreating us, we're going to go along with a whole lot of stuff in order to stay employed. So if the environment is, you know, comfortable and the people are seemingly well-intentioned the majority of the time, we ain't going to be complaining. We're not going to be leaving. We just want to come in, get our work done and go. So those pieces of the equation are easy to correct. It's when you begin to talk about equity and it's when you begin to talk about justice that it begins to get difficult and uncomfortable because that requires shifting of power dynamics. And yeah. that's when when people that's when people get mad mad. So yeah. And so a lot of times people ask me why I chose the name 365 diversity. I chose that when I was still in North Carolina. And 365, of course, like I always say, I discuss diversity daily. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, diversity is not equity, it's not inclusive, it's not just actually, actually it is, because those people are going based on dictionary definitions, which are mm-hmm. white people's dictionaries. Black folk have explained for centuries that we can debate over these words for the rest of our lives. Nothing's going to come from it. So the Mm -hmm. diversity work I do requires inclusion, equity, and justice. Mm -hmm. Because that's why in my work, I distinguish diversity from tokenism. Mm -hmm. You're not going to just add people and say, now, just be quiet, be -hmm. complacent, be compliant. Uh, That's when we're talking about gender, sexuality, those of us with disability, we're Mm -hmm. not expected to follow their meaning of normality as Black folk. So having experience, you talked about, and I will make sure to link in the notes for this show, the, you know, the stories that on your Medium platform about what you experienced on LinkedIn and what you experienced on Facebook as well. 